Isn't this a great life story? A story of one person named Keith who found a life-changing relationship with Jesus because someone here at BlackRock named Wendy cared enough about him to talk to him about a personal relationship with Jesus, cared enough to pray for him, and cared enough to invite him here to church. Wendy invited one person here to church, and that one person has been totally changed now and for all eternity. Today, we begin a series of messages entitled, One, where God asks me, who is the one you care enough about to talk to about Jesus? Who is the one you will pray for and invite to church? In about 14 or 15 uh, weeks or whenever our building is uh, furnished and finished, you will have a golden opportunity to invite a friend to church. And God wants to know who it is going to be because God wants to partner with you. Whoever that one person is, God is passionate about that one person. And God wants to partner with you to reach that one person and maybe Maybe, just maybe, you will see that one person changed for all eternity. But the time to start thinking about this one person is now, not when the building opens. So God wants me to start thinking and praying about this one person now. God is passionate about reaching my one person, and God wants me to be passionate Two. And to grow this passion in me, God wants to mentor me through a person who had this passion. His name is Paul. And Paul explains the source of his passion for people in his second letter to the church in Corinth. Would you please turn in your Bible or your device to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 11. And this section that I'm going to read follows Paul, Paul's reflection on the awareness that one day he would stand before Jesus and be evaluated by Jesus and rewarded by Jesus. And with this uh, truth in mind, Paul writes these words that I uh, put into the first person here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning at verse 11. Since then, I know what it is to fear the Lord. I try to persuade others. What I am is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. I am not trying to commend myself to you again, but I'm giving you an opportunity to take pride in me so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If I am out of my mind, it is for the sake of God. If I'm in my right mind, it's for you. For Christ's love compels me because I am convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here, Paul explains why he is passionate about helping people meet Jesus. And through Paul, God is explaining why I should be passionate about the same thing. 
Starting in verse 11, Paul explains that his passion for people comes from two sources. Paul's passion for people comes from his fear of displeasing Jesus and his experience of the love of Jesus. Let's take a closer look at these two sources. First, in verse 11, Paul explains that he has a passion for people due to his fear of the Lord. He writes in verse 11, since then I know what it is to fear the Lord. I try to persuade others. Well, what does Paul mean by fear? As I mentioned, this context is set two verses earlier, where in verse 9, Paul writes, so I make it my goal to please, notice that word, please the Lord, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So this context explains what kind of fear Paul is talking about, and it's related to pleasing the Lord and to this phrase, the judgment seat of Christ. In judgment seat, uh, Paul is using a Greek word, bema, and the bema in Corinth was a raised platform that had a special use. It was used uh, for an Olympiad for which Corinth was famous. The bema was where the Olympic athletes stood uh, for receiving their reward. It was a winner's platform where victors received their rewards. And so by the Bema seat, Paul is referring to that moment when he will stand before Jesus and receive reward and approval from God, not punishment. So the fear that Paul is writing about is not terror, It is the emotion you have towards someone you admire and whose approval means more to you than anything else. For instance, uh, before I adored Jen as my wife, I adored her as my girlfriend. And I remember how I felt the night that I asked her to marry me. I was terrified. I, I wasn't afraid that she was going to say no. I, I had some you know, solid poll numbers on that issue, but I, I was afraid that she wasn't going to like the way I proposed. I, I wasn't afraid that she was going to say no. I was afraid that she was going to say yes and then tell me how much she hated that proposal for the rest of our lives together. Uh, And if I were to describe to you the way that I proposed, you would see why I was uh, so nervous. I won't tell you the whole story, uh, but the concept I was going for was this magic carpet ride where Jen would be escorted to a super luxury limousine and uh, then that uh, limousine would take her on a, a magic carpet ride where she would be serenaded by people at certain locations uh, important to our personal history. And this magic carpet ride would end with uh, her being dropped off at a surprise location where I would magically appear on bended knee and propose to her. But, you know, money was tight. <laughs> and... Uh, The dream had to be modified at certain places, and so in actual execution, it actually turned out that uh, Jen was kind of kidnapped 
by a, a strange man wearing lipstick and a dress, and she was uh, thrown into a, a strange uh, backseat of a strange car, and it just kind of got less romantic from there. And, uh, and I was, as I was waiting at this surprise location on bended knee, waiting for uh, her unmarked van to arrive, I uh, had one of those terrible thoughts that, uh, that was way too late. My thought was, what if she's one of those girls that doesn't like being kidnapped by a stranger and uh, thrown into an unmarked van? Uh, I was terrified. What if she doesn't like this proposal? Anyway, my wife is so wonderful. She loved the experience and she said yes. Uh, but I remember the fear, the fear I had that comes naturally when you're trying to please the one you want approval for from more than anyone else. That's the kind of fear Paul has in mind. He's saying, I have such an intense desire to please God that I am afraid of displeasing him. But it's a good fear that gets me off the couch and keeps me persuading people to give their hearts to Jesus. Paul had a passion because he knew that nothing pleases the heavenly father more than when lost people come to him through faith in Jesus. Listen to what uh, Paul said to a young pastor named Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The key word here is pleases. It pleases God our Savior when people come to Jesus. And the word for pleases here in the Greek is the word apodekamai, which was the ancient word for applause. And so Paul indicates that God is so passionate about people that when a person turns to Jesus for forgiveness, it makes God so happy that he wants to just stand up and cheer and applaud. He wants to applaud this because it makes him so full of joy when just one returns to him. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus says that God is like a shepherd who lost a lamb. And just like a good shepherd, God goes after that one lamb. And Jesus says that when the shepherd finds his lost lamb, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder and goes home and calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my one lamb. And then Jesus concludes the lesson by saying, I tell you that in the same way, all heaven rejoices when one, one person repents. And then a few verses later, Jesus says that God's like a father who has a rebel son who squanders his inheritance and then falls into poverty and starvation. And with nowhere left to go, he heads back for home. And Jesus says that God is a father who every moment looks out on the horizon, passionately seeking for this one child to return. And while this child is still a long way off, God is like a father who runs out with all his might to embrace his child in love and forgiveness. And Jesus taught that God has such a passion for people that nothing makes God happier or more pleased than to have one of his lost children return to him. 
And Paul understood God's passion for people and wanting to please God with his life. Paul made sure he was passionate about what God was passionate about. And so Paul's worst fear was the prospect of displeasing Jesus by failing to reach out to the people that God was so passionate about. Paul cared deeply about God's opinion and cared actually little about public opinion. How do we know? Well, he says right here that uh, while he tells people about Jesus, some people think he's out of his mind. But that's okay, Paul says, because he knows that they're not seeing the eternal side of things and how God is passionate about the souls that he's reaching to. How about you? Are you passionate about what God is passionate about? Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're drifting spiritually and you find yourself whining to God. God, just show me your will for my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do if you would just tell me what you want me to do. If you're one of those people who is waiting to hear God's will for your life, let me fill you in. Because I know God's will for you. It's people. Don't sit around waiting for God to tell you what to be passionate about because he's already told you. It's people. God's will for you is people. God's work for you is people. God's call for you, his unambiguous purpose for you is to passionately devote yourself to the one thing in this world that has eternal value. That's true. That's, there's only one thing in this temporal life that will survive the transition to eternity. And it's not money. It's not possessions. It's not educational degrees or anything else. The one thing that will survive the transition from this world to the next is the human soul. God's call and purpose for you in this life is to please him by being passionate about what he is passionate about. And God is passionate about people. God's will for you is to devote your prayers, your purse, your passion to sharing Jesus with eternal souls one person at a time. So the first source of Paul's passion for people is his fear of the Lord. Where fear is not terror, it's the emotion that comes with the desire to please the one that you want approval from more than any other. The second source of Paul's passion for people is his experience of Christ's love. Paul writes in uh, verse 14, For Christ's love compels me, because I am convinced that one man, Jesus Christ, died for all. So if you were to ask Paul, Paul, uh, why are you passionate about souls? Wherever you go with the good news of Jesus, you are beaten up, you are mocked, you are whipped, and worse. Why do you keep doing it? And based on what Paul writes in verse 14, I am sure that he would answer with tears in his eyes. I keep sharing the good news despite hatred and mockery and beatings because someone infinitely greater endured hatred and mockery 
and beatings and much worse out of his love for me. In verse 14, Paul said, says that he's compelled by this love Jesus displayed in his death. The word Paul uses for compelled means boxed in on three sides. So there's only one way to go. And it's true. If I have an accurate view of what it means that God in the flesh loved me enough to die for me, I have no option but to share that love with others. Paul was compelled to love people like Jesus loved people. When Paul looked at people, he saw how they were suffering from their separation from God. Paul knew how awful it was to be separated from God. He was separated from God. And so now Paul, with his love for people, wanted to save them from that separation. You know, Keith uh, shared how he never received his father's love. And that was a hole in his heart. We all suffer with this hole in our hearts until we experience God's love for us in the cross. There are people around you suffering in their separation from God. If you have Jesus' love in you, you are compelled to want to reach out to them. You know, maybe you're here today and you still haven't yet decided to follow Jesus. Well, I'm very glad you're here. You're in the right place. And I hope that you will choose soon to receive God's love in Jesus, which is the only thing that'll fill that void in your life. You know, we're talking today about passion. We're talking about having a real experience of Jesus' love such that it propels me to identify at least one person who will become the focus of my effort to reach out with the same love that reached me. You know, this is just the first message in this series. And so I'm not asking you to make a bold share of Jesus with someone in your life. I'm not asking, I'm not even asking you to commit to pray for someone or bring someone to church. Here at the beginning, I'm just asking if you would identify one person that you can care enough about on a spiritual level. Identify one soul that you are willing to be passionate about. You know, if you look up the word passion in the dictionary, do you know what you're going to find? Uh, the first or second definition is the crucifixion of Jesus. What Jesus did on the cross is called the passion because it shows the passionate heart of God. People who don't know the Gospels think that Jesus was put on the cross, but it's not true. Jesus chose the cross out of his passion for you and your soul. If you ask Jesus for his personal definition of passion, his answer is passion is what? you are willing to die for. Jesus demonstrates his passion for me by his willingness to die for my soul. I know that I am his follower when his loving passion for my soul compels me to be passionate about someone else's soul. And that's certainly what Jesus means when he says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. To Jesus, the cross symbolizes his passion for people. 
And so when he commands me to carry the cross, Jesus is calling me to give my life to the same cause that he gave his life for. Jesus is calling me to a passion for people. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you have this passion. You know, maybe it's buried deep inside, but it's there. And in this series, God wants to bring that passion out. God wants to bring that passion out in a way that touches at least one person in your life. But then God has a way of doing miracles with just one person. Wendy had a passion for one person named Keith. But now Keith and Wendy together reach out to other people. And then it goes wider and wider and wider. Just listen.
Would you please stand as we close? God, we thank you for your passion for one. And Lord, those of us... Uh...